0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I want to pray for us as we head into our text for this week. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, Father, thank you so very much for the privilege and the blessing that it is today to come together as a church family and to worship you, to turn our attention to you, to be reminded today that you are powerful over Satan, sin, and the grave, and that your unconditional love for us surpasses anything that we could think or imagine. And that your love is not just like a drop of water for parched souls, but it's like an ocean of refreshment for parched souls. So, Father, I pray that you would come by the power of your Spirit and that you would speak today through your word and that you would refresh our souls and that you would help us in some regard to just drown in the vast ocean Christ's love for us. Father, we love you, and we trust that you be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So love is a uh, a powerful experience. It's unlike any other experience. It affects more than just the mind. It affects the heart uh, and and the emotions at, at the deepest levels. And there are different kinds of love. Even throughout the scriptures, there's different words for love. Now, by way of illustration, there's a kind of love that will leave me empty a few hours later. And then there's another kind of love that lasts into eternity. Now, the kind of love that God has for us is it's unconditional. It's, it's eternal. And it has to be something that is experienced. The unconditional, never ending, Unfailing, steadfast love of Christ is something that must be experienced. It's not the kind of love that can be simply outlined, bullet point to bullet point, which is hard for a pastor. It's the kind of love that surpasses every outline that I could possibly put in front of you. Listen to how Paul prays for us to experience the love of Christ. Ephesians three, fourteen to twenty-one. Paul says. Think about your human experience of love for a minute. Some of you, as you think about your human experience of love, you, you might immediately remember like a, a warm, you might even have a bit of a, a warm feeling as you think about a person, like a, a parent or a friend or a, or a spouse who has loved you well. You might recall a, a sense of safety or acceptance or or care that you felt when you were with that other person who has loved you well. Those those memories, those emotions, those feelings, they might fill you with joy, or they might fill you with a sense of security, or or maybe courage to face another day, right? I also imagine that for every one of us in this room, we can imagine um, relationships where someone didn't love us so well. Relationships where someone took advantage of us or used us for their own pleasure or someone abandoned us or abused us or neglected us. Those memories might fill you with fear or or shame or or regret or guilt. Every one of us has experienced relationships on both sides of the pendulum of love. The thing is, is that we have a capacity to thirst for and to hunger for love. It's an interesting subject when you stop and think about the depth of our thirst and our hunger and the things that we will do or the ends that we will go to, the things that we will sacrifice or give or spend just so that we can feel loved. We'll Go to great links to satisfy our hunger and thirst to be loved. Why not? Why not? I think it's natural for us to thirst for love. I think it's appropriate for us to desire to be loved. But there's a problem with the human experience of love. I don't think that we can overlook the fact that something has gone terribly wrong with our concept of love. Something has infected our understanding of love. Our, our experience of love has been tainted by poison, right? But the deep wells of our hearts have been filled with unhealthy concepts about love. Our experience of this thing called Love has been reduced to a feeling that demands immediate gratification. I think that's the problem. The problem is that we have reduced the experience of love to a feeling that demands immediate gratification. Like a two-year-old baby, deep down inside of our souls, screaming and crying out throwing fits for attention destructively running over the top of anything that gets in its way. you ever have that experience? I have. Not just outside of me, but inside of me I've experienced that kind of a roaring storm. And we not only look for love in all the wrong places and then fall victim to cheap substitutes of what love really is, but the problem for all of us is that every one of us in this room is also guilty of not expressing love in healthy or wholesome ways either. For every time that I can share a story with you of being used and abused by someone who should have loved me well, I can also tell you a story of the times I've used and abused others instead of loving them well. There's something broken inside of me. Something not complete yet inside of me. Something not complete yet and broken in in, in all of us. We we are a, a sick human race. And in Just in case you're here and you're thinking, man, it it sounds harsh. You think about these things. On the prevalence of pornography use, the horror of mass shootings, the pain of broken families, the outbreak of suicide rates, the, the uprising of substance abuse, the aftermath of marriages that have been destroyed by extramarital affairs, all these things point to a systemic problem deep within the human race deep inside of you and i i would argue that the issues of our society that we live in at the foundation are rooted in this thing that we call love we have a dysfunctional concept of love and this problem that i'm just shedding light on for a minute underscores the importance of what paul prays for in this text I think that what Paul prays for in verse 19 is vitally important for us to hear today. We need to hear this. We need to apply this to our hearts. Verse 19, Paul prays that we should know, or that we would know. Like you have your Bibles open, you, you could, and, you, and if you're okay, writing your Bibles, you could circle that word "know." You could star it. You could underline it. You could put boxes around it. You can highlight it. You'd, Whatever you need to do to remember this word, know. He prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul wants us to know something that is beyond our capacity to gather up in knowledge. Seems like a contradiction. That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. So, the result of us knowing something that seems to be unknowable is that we would be filled with the very presence of God Himself, right? What Paul is praying here is that we would experientially know the love of Christ that leads to us being filled with the presence of the person of God. Let's we'll stop and think about that for a minute. Paul wants us to experience the love of Christ. He wants us to know the love of Christ intimately, vitally, passionately, in a life-giving way. This, the word that Paul uses here, that word "know," that I told you you could circle, that you should. The word that he uses for know, it's the same word that is used throughout the New Testament and even has roots to its its, its Hebrew counterparts in the Old Testament for how a husband and wife are to know each other. I'm not going to go into detail, but there is, a, there is a way that a husband and wife are to know each other that uh, brothers are not to know each other. There is a passage in the Old Testament I'm reminded of here in a moment too of how close David and Jonathan were. Uh, The text tells us that David and Jonathan knew a love for each uh, each other that was closer than lovers. It's this kind of intimate, vital, life-giving, passionate knowing that Paul is praying for, for us in terms of knowing the love of Christ. It's a desperate kind of knowing when I think of this kind of knowing, this desperate kind of knowing of the love of Christ, I think of times where my wife or I may take a trip. The first day or two uh, might feel kind of exciting as like one of us gets out of the house and gets away for a time. Um, But then as the days go on, I think what happens, I know what happens because I've experienced this, right? I know this because I've experienced this. tracking what I know because I've experienced is that over the course of a couple of days I begin to long for my wife I begin to miss my wife I begin to feel a sense of kind of like a a gnawing in my gut where I'm desperate to be with her again and I want to be home so that I can experience my wife's presence my wife's love That's the kind of knowing, the kind of desperate knowing, the kind of experiential knowing of the love of Christ that Paul is praying that each of us in this room would have. And the question is, is, do you have that kind of experience with the love of Christ? Did you walk in here this morning desperate for the experience of the presence of the love of Christ in your life, or have you traded that for cheap substitutes because you became bored with him a long time ago? Do you know the love of Christ like this? Do do you miss the love of Christ when you go through valleys of loneliness or despair? Do you want to experience the joy of hearing Jesus say, I love you? And when was the last time you experienced hearing him say that to you? Because I am convinced, as I look at this prayer from the Apostle Paul for us, that what he does not have in mind is a beginner head knowledge of the love of Christ that got me saved on that one day at camp. That what he has in mind is a deep, maturing, and growing, authentic experience of the love of Christ that will drive you madly insane if you don't get a little bit more of it. That kind of desiring, desperate affection for the love of Christ, that you would have that, convinced that that's what he wants, convinced that he wants us to move beyond head knowledge to heart knowledge. The problem is that head knowledge is a whole lot easier than heart knowledge. Head knowledge is a whole lot easier than heart knowledge. Even if you don't like to read books or listen to podcasts, head knowledge is still easier than heart knowledge. Head knowledge is less scary. It's easier to map out. It's easier to control. The quick fix of figuring something out can be absolutely intoxicating. If you've lived on that drug your entire life, The experience of the love of Christ can set you free from that. It's intoxicating. Says the guy behind the pulpit who gets paid to read books, right? I fill my head full of knowledge. I I know that kind of experience intimately. I know the kind of love and intoxicating feeling that happens when you're reading something to gain knowledge into your head and there's a light bulb that goes off and you go, ah, I got it quick fix to something that I didn't understand previous to this. But the problem is, is that oftentimes it can just stay there. I can never move to the heart because the heart is scary. The heart is like a vast wilderness. The heart is a place where roadmaps get blurry. A place where there's no quick fix because there is no quick fix to what sickens the human heart. There isn't. There's no quick fix to what sickens the human heart. Easier to chase cheap substitutes like porn. Easier to chase cheap substitutes like inappropriate relationships. Those are quick fixes. It's easier to chase um, quick fix like accomplishments or... Possessions, or the cheap thrill of substance abuse, or the cheap thrill of success in your job. Not that that some of those things aren't necessarily bad, right? See, it's hard to fight for the real thing. Bullet point outlines are great for the head, but the heart is a different story. The heart, what the heart needs is scalpels. That sounds painful. The heart needs scalpels and bright lights, wisdom, patience. The heart needs help. You try to navigate the forest of your heart alone, you might die. You might. Because the heart can be deceitfully wicked. And out of the overflow of our hearts comes the behavior of our lives. Heard some people describe the difference between the heart and the head, kind of like the difference between country back roads and newly paved highways. I don't know that I would always say that the head It's always like a newly paved highway, but I would say in contrast with the heart, the statement makes sense. The mind is definitely easier to penetrate than the heart is. Heard uh, Charles Spurgeon quote, uh, says that one of the hardest things about preaching, and not just me as a preacher, but all of us, because it's our job to speak truth to one another, one of the hardest parts about preaching the truth to each other is that the job of preaching is to preach to the heart, not merely the head. And the problem in the midst of all of that is that every one of us has to preach to other people's hearts with our own broken hearts. It's like you're using a broken tool to try to do surgery on one another. That's impossible. Thankfully, the tomb is empty, right? Thankfully, the tomb is empty. So our power doesn't reside in ourselves. It resides within us for sure if the Spirit of God is in you. It doesn't originate with you or I, though. So we can minister the truth of the love of Christ to one another with broken utensils, broken scalpels, to other broken utensils. If this is true, if it's true that the, the head is easier to penetrate than the heart, What do you do? How do we we move to a place where we are experiencing the love of Christ at the heart level? We are knowing the love of Christ at a heart level, intimately, passionately, vitally, in a life-giving way that produces changed people. That doesn't produce people who were always thanking God for taking me as I am, but are also thanking God for creating in us a new heart. Because David praised that in Psalm 52, create in me a right spirit, O God, a new heart. Right? How, how do we come to a place where we can, just like David, experience the love of God in, in a life-transforming way? I don't want to divorce the head from the heart. That's not what we're about because if you do that, then it's all just about how everything feels. And I think we've seen some so-called quote-unquote revivals that are just full of a bunch of experience with absolutely zero logic to what's taking place. We don't want to divorce the mind from the heart. God gave us minds and hearts for a reason. So I don't want to divorce the head from the heart, but I do want to shock the head. I'm going to shock our heads. If you think about this, little paddles, right? I'm going to shock our heads in a way that jumpstarts our hearts. I know. I know there are dead hearts in this room. I know that. There are dead hearts in this room that do not know the love of Christ. part of my job as a preacher is to shock those hearts to to wake up. And there's a limit to that. I'm limited. That is a work that only the Spirit of God can do deep within us. I know that I have a part to play in that. So how? Uh, What? What will jumpstart our hearts? That's the question. What will jumpstart our hearts? I believe that the only way to shock the head and jumpstart the heart is to hear from God's word. Because only the word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, can do that work. And so I've chosen a few key passages for us to consider. I think they're on your outline, because I still had to give you an outline. It should also be on the screen in front of you. And Psalm 8615, Psalmist says this says, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 136, 26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Is your heart full of thanks and gratefulness this morning to the Lord? If not, then the question is, is, are you experiencing the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever? Zephaniah 3:17 Eric shared this a few weeks ago the Lord your God is in your midst think about that the Lord your God is right here in our midst he's here He's here in our midst if a famous person walked in here right now how would you react? Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Think about your soul being quieted by the love of Christ. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I mean, the picture of my Father in heaven singing songs over me is hard for me to comprehend. It's hard for me to rest there. Number one, it kind of feels girly. (coughs) Okay. <coughs> and I've never experienced my dad coming into the room and singing songs over me. <coughs> but to experience that, that God would come into the room as your father, as a man, or as a woman here, to know that he would love you that much to come in and sing songs over you is <coughs> something that strikes me John 3 16 for God's so love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life John 15 9 through 11 as the father has loved me so have I loved you abide in my love what does abide mean live rest stay there abide in my love Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So, if any of you are here and you're asking, okay, how, because a lot of us are practical, how do I stay and remain and abide and experience the love of Christ? Keep God's commandments, keep his commands. Ask God, how should I behave? How should I think? How should I speak in these scenarios? And if God's word says it, then do it and you will abide in his love. I'm convinced that far too many Christians lack the experience of Christ's love simply because we throw out the commands of God as though they don't pertain to us anymore or apply to us anymore because the people in the Old Testament, you know, they were really bad people, but we're really not that bad of people. And by the way, Jesus has come and he's died on the cross, therefore abolishing all the law so I don't really have to obey it. I can just do whatever the heck I want and I can call myself a Christian while doing it. That's a misinterpretation and misapplication of the scripture. And it's called a fear of legalism, which is true. We need to be careful of that. You do not gain or earn God's love. He loves you already. But the way that you rest in his love and not chase after cheap substitutes is by obeying his commands. They were given to us like markers on the side of the road to keep us safe. Like stop signs and like speed limit signs, commands, laws that keep you and I safe and promote healing and goodness in our lives. So when Jesus says, abide in my love, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying, I am the model for you. I am the example for you. I'm right here. I've showed you how to do it, and I've done it for you. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, look at that, my joy. Is your life lacking joy right now? Your life may be lacking joy because you have not experienced the love of Christ because you are not walking in obedience to what Christ has said to do. Means I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is a struggle for me. I am like two people put together uh, the Hulk and the Joker. Why so serious? <laughs> right? And I'm always angry. <laughs> mash those two superheroes together. That's kind of how I'm wired. Serious, serious guy. It's hard for me to smile, have fun, and play. Build a little triangle of work play and spend time with Jesus I spend time with Jesus I love to work play oh, God, it's hard I've, I've, that feels like work so I lack joy it's just part of my wiring I have to work hard at that but oftentimes the reasons that I lack joy so much is because I am not being obedient to God's commands one of those commands for me is just practicing a Sabbath resting daily every week putting my stake in the ground and drawing a line and saying, Jesus, I'm coming to meet with you and I'm not moving from this place until I hear from you. Because I, everywhere that I look to satisfy myself and gain a feeling of joy lasts about that long. Cheap substitutes. Every one of us in this room chases them. And what we need is a radical experience of Christ's love. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 8.37-39, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord quoted that passage for the last three or four weeks in a row because it's one of my favorites because it reminds me that nothing whatsoever can separate me from the love of Christ. It's just simply that I may not experience the love of Christ. Jesus doesn't remove his love from you. It's not that he stops showering his love down on you. It's that you and I refuse to experience that at a life-changing level. First John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. I find that interesting. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Oh, I love that. It's a big theological word. Oh, it just gets me in my head, right? I get to think about propitiation. What about expiation? That's the other side of that. I love those words, right? It just simply means payment. Jesus paid the price, the ransom. He covered it expiation. He removed it. Not only did he cover your sin, but he also removed your sin from you. (coughs) Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, (laughs) but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you know the love of Christ? Do you know the love of Christ that God's word teaches us about? Have you experienced this love personally? Are you experiencing this love personally in an ongoing way? See, it's not like when I married my wife, I was like, man, I love her. It was an awesome experience to experience the love that we share and the way that we know each other. And now, now, uh, how long's it been? 15 years. 15 years later, almost 16. Boy, I hope I got that right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like now, after all these years, I'm like, well, I'm glad I experienced that like 15, 16 years ago today. I just don't know. I'm kind of bored with my wife. Wouldn't that scare the heck out of you guys? Yes, that's why it scares the heck out of me when I, when I see us as Christians walking the same way. We, we, we need to cast off all other cheap thrills, all other cheap substitutes until we are walking in the experiencing of Christ's love on a daily basis. How, why would you or I try to go a day without experiencing the love of Christ? Why would we not root ourselves to our chair or our couch or our backyard or our garage or wherever it is that you need to go to get alone with God and experience it? Why would we not root ourselves there when he rooted himself to a cross for us? Why would we do that and then call ourselves Christians? Why? The love of God is slow to anger. It's overflowing with steady, patient trust. Do you understand the patience of God? And the patience and the kindness of God is what moves my soul to repentance. Not the anger and the wrath of God, because the anger and the wrath of God was taken by Christ on a cross. So it's, it's the patience and the steady kindness of God that moves my soul to repentance. That's his presence in the room with you. Do, Do you know that kind of love? His love is powerful to save you, and it causes him to rejoice over you. Do you know the presence of that kind of love, the experience of that love? His love is... Powerful enough to quiet and to, to silence the roaring waves of worry and doubt and despair and anger and guilt in your heart? Do you know that kind of love? Christ's love drove him to the cross so that you and I could receive the gift of everlasting life. He didn't go to the cross so that you and I could live in everlasting death. He went to the cross so that he could leave the tomb empty and show you the power with which you can live your life now. He's loved you with the love of the Heavenly Father. His love is evident in the fact that he didn't demand your perfection before extending his love to you. He bought, paid for, purchased your perfection because of his great love for you. He actually took your imperfection from you and gave you his perfection and said, you're mine, I bought you and I paid for you, you belong to me and I belong to you. That's the love of Christ. There's nothing that can separate you from that love. The penalty for your sin was paid in full at the cross of Christ. He, his, his purchase of you was complete, finished at the cross of Calvary. See, because of the Father's vast wealth, his bank account never ends when it comes to his love. It's just that we have failed to go in and make a withdrawal. And then at the same time we say, oh, your love's not good enough for me. I'm gonna go chase a cheap substitute instead because it's a quick fix. Do you know the love of Christ like that? Have you experienced the love of Christ like that? There's one thing that I wanted you to know on Easter Sunday is that you can experience the love of Christ this way. You can know the love of Christ this way I want you to be full of the love of Christ in that way. He left the tomb empty so that he could fill your empty heart with himself. Have you experienced the love of Christ that way? Has he filled your heart with his presence? Like even though you have chased cheap substitutes, Christ became your substitute when he took the wrath of God against you, not just against your sin. He took the wrath of God that was dead set against you for your sin. And he took it upon himself so that you can now, as a person, be the recipient of Christ's love to you. Even though your sin seems huge, the work of Christ at the cross proves his everlasting love for you and that his love for you is bigger than that. God really is bigger than the boogeyman. Vegetails throwback. really is bigger than the boogeyman. And the only boogeyman that's chasing you down right now, Satan's sin in the grave, and in the middle of Satan's sin in the grave is you. And Jesus came to purchase you, to buy you. To give you his love. This is the love of Christ. His body was beaten, his body was torn, and his blood flowed freely for you and I. His body was beaten, it was torn. His blood flowed freely for you and I. His body was laid in a grave. But then three days later, he walked out of that grave. He walked out of that grave in one piece so that you and I could be healed from our dysfunctional pursuit of cheap love so that we could experience true love. did this because of his great love for us and the question is have you experienced the love of christ personally do you long for it do you miss it do you really want it because that's the question that jesus asks every person that he walks up to you what do you want me to do for you let's pray Father, thank you for the love of Christ in the cross. Lord, I pray that you would continue to move our hearts past head knowledge and into heart knowledge. Give us the courage, strength, the power through your spirit to go there. In Jesus' name, amen.